Hello, welcome ventures to the travel log podcast in which I, Stephen Hopper, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. You will go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of encounters you can run in an area, or what type of characters you can create whose backgrounds are based in an area. This week, we're covering the Dasaran Valley. Lily, what color of dragon, chromatic, is your favorite? Oh, black. Black? Yeah. Blacks are so cool. Yeah, they're very cool. They're very evil looking. Yeah, I mean, they're just cool. They're the most evil. They got acid breath. They live in swamps. They're freaking yeah. black dragon. Just the name black dragon is scary. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. It's true. You say, you, you, you say black dragon, and instantly everyone is like, I should be scared. Yeah, yeah. Are like, they the most evil, though? Like, I feel like red dragons are pretty dang evil. Red dragons are just the strongest. I mean, all chromatic dragons right. are equally as evil. It's the thing. Right. Okay. Um, but, like, black dragons, they, like, torture people. Right, 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 right. I mean, we're kind of getting that thing where, you know, they're sentient creatures. So, in fizz bands, they keep the, at least with dragons, they keep the dichotomy of, you know, chromatic dragons are always evil and metallic dragons are always good, which... I was half expecting them to take away because they've been moving away from that. And personally, I was happy they kept it because it's about, you know, dragons are much more supernatural than a lot of things. Right, right, right. Yeah. It does say that there's a chance of, you know, just because a red dragon's evil doesn't mean it's like a complete jackass, which was already a thing. Balagos in Om, he's evil and he's terrible, but he also like invests in companies and stuff. So (laughs) he has to at least be agreeable. Yeah. Yeah, also, like, but they're evil. If you say some know, red dragon or a white dragon is evil because they kill things like humans eat, it's like, mm, that's a human ideal of morality, you know? Yeah, I mean... Because, as you said, they're otherworldly, but they're also like, kind of bestial. In well, some way. no, is the thing. Like, white dragon, yes. White dragon, I don't think you can be put in any morality. They don't talk. They're idiots. They're a wolf. Mm-hmm. But, like, red dragons are also, like, the smartest thing in the multiverse, almost. Right. The only creature in... The entirety of canon monsters that can focus on two spells at once is a red dragon. It also has the highest intelligence modifier of anything ever published. Mm. So, like, mm. the thing is, is they're just, like, made in Tiamat's image. And I know we're moving away from that with orcs and stuff, which were made in Grumch's image. But, like, I don't know. I'm glad they kept it with dragons because it's, like, they're evil hoarders of stuff that plunder and burn villages for gold, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think if they were like, I don't know. I'm glad they kept it. But I think black are just, I don't know. They torture for fun. They spit out acid breath. They're they're just fun. And I think red dragons, even though they're the most powerful of the chromatic dragons, I feel like they fall a bit. Their impact, their weight, unless you know D&D world, is a bit affected by pop culture. Mm-hmm. Because red dragon is just dragon in a lot of stuff, right? Right. But you say black dragon. And instantly everyone's just like, yep, okay, that's the color we associate with nighttime, so it's evil. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Whereas you say, you know, you say red dragon and people kind of just think that's a dragon. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, true. I can agree with that. Or green dragon, I know. Yeah. Arguably too. Yeah. In Fizzban's, Fizzban actually says in one of his little blurbs, green dragon is the most dragon of all the dragons. (laughs) I'm upset that Tiamat got the most dragon of all the dragons. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Green is very dragon. Blue is a bit of a outlier, which is kind of like it's cool, but I don't really think blue dragon often. I like blue dragons. I don't really think them often either. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know much about them. I mean, red dragons are megalomaniac. You know, in real life terms, red dragon would be, you know, Elon Musk or <laughs> Amazon guy, Jeff Bezos, right? They're megalomaniac, big brain. Right, right. I do evil, but in like a capitalist level where it's it has it's it's less. Yeah, okay, I'll burn down your village and I'll take all your stuff. But in actuality, I'm just going to create this empire where I'm at the center of it and I'm abusing people on a cultural and political scale to get my wealth and stuff. Whereas a black dragon is like, I'm going to keep this king locked in my basement for 20 years and periodically torture him for fun after I killed his kingdom and took his money. Right. And green dragons are like spy masters. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they're like so. Like if a, they're all conniving. If a yeah, exactly. So if a red dragon is Elon Musk, you know, a black dragon is like the guy who runs Guantanamo Bay, and then, or like a warlord, and then the green dragon is like the weapons manufacturers <laughs> who make up fake wars and are on our both sides of the wars, and they are in the middle, pulling the strings on both sides and profiting equally. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And I don't really know. Yeah, this is just a failing. Yeah, exactly. But that's just a failing on my part. I haven't bothered to yeah. look them up. The dwarves of the north have long held the hidden veil of dancing waters to be a sacred place. Rumored to once hold the summer palace of Ba Silmer's dwarven kingdom. It is now a place of contemplation and worship for the dwarves who wish to pay homage to their goddess of fertility and love. Shar Rindalar. They allow few outsiders access, but those who are fortunate enough to be invited find a wondrous sight in the secret gorge and its splashing creeks. Revered sites within the Vale of Dancing Waters include temples and shrines positioned throughout the gorge, rather than a single consolidated structure. Most of these spots require a hike to reach from the main trail that follows the gorge. One such location is the Shrine to the Tender Oath small retreat where devotees can dwell for a time and contemplate on the nature of love. That's neat little kind of lore that you don't usually hear from dwarves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dwarves go there, they sit up cross-legged and they think, what is love? Yeah, also just this idea of like, I don't know, you don't think of dwarves as like, you know, nature springs and stuff. You think of, you know, manufactured stone halls and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of like that actually concept of a dwarf. Of like dwarves, they like stone and stonework and like, you know, digging and a, a, a dwarven group or at least a single dwarf that really respects waterways because of how it carves stones and finds the like beauty right. and like the the way that water carves stones. I think that could be a cool character or a cool group. Yeah, that could be cool. Yeah. Water dwarves. Water dwarves. Most folks in the north have never heard of Keldel, a quiet place, but for others, it's a favorite spot. Keldel is a logging village on the northern edge of Westwood, tucked into the foothills of the Sword Coast Spires. Its only link to the outside world is a trail winding down through the rolling hills to Red Larch. Keldel is just a cluster of log homes around a horse-powered sawmill. About 50 folks live in the village and another 20 or so loggers working in the woods. These loggers are led by the wizard Gelkin, who levitates felled logs while the lumberjacks maneuver them down to waiting horse teams. The horses then drag the logs down to the mill by way of one of the winding forest trails. Finally, the wood is milled. Carts or sledges take the cut wood to market in Red Larch, where Waterdavian merchants have storage sheds and buyers. Galkin avoids the wrath of the treants and satyrs of Westwood by working with three druids who dwell in the woods. 
and cutting only where they direct. The folk of Caldell plant and tend more trees than they cut, slowly extending the forest under the direction of the druids, who call themselves the Dusk Circle. These people dwell in the woods, and they're rarely seen in the village. Caldell is too small to have an inn, though, so visitors typically sleep on the shuttered back porch of the tavern. However, visitors who bring a donation to Sylvanas or Maliki and agree not to cut or burn wood during their stay are allowed to camp in one of the moss-floored glades maintained by the druids. I think this would be a fun spot if you had, like, if you were adventuring around the Drasaran Valley, like, I feel like this is a good, this is this coupled with our last episode, right? It's a good little region to start in because there's a lot of stuff here. And not only is there a lot of stuff, there's a lot of biomes, mm-hmm. a lot of different landscapes, you know, you've got mountains, you've got hills, you've got rivers, you've got, you've got everything you need here, right? Right. You've got hills. So I think you could do a lot of adventuring just in this little region. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think spots like that are always good for lower level and then you get more worldwide around like level eight to 10, right? Mm-hmm. But I think this could be really cool if you introduce this place quite early because what the heck is this wizard doing here? Yeah, no, what, like, like wh- <laughs> I understand, like, Levitate is only a second level spell, yeah. so uh, nothing here says he's an arch wizard, but to me, I immediately thought, what is, what is this wizard doing? He seems out of place. He seems too big for this. He seems like a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, exactly. Like, and the part he levitates is only for like a short little while. He's kind of a broker between the druids. Like, what? Like, I think it'd be cool if you, uh, doing? if you introduced this place pretty early on and had him as like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he gives a quest or two, but you don't have him as a patron. He's just this like yeah. kindly old wizard who helps the logging community and, uh, you know, is a, like you said, like a middleman between the people and the druids. He keeps the peace. But uh, as you go, there's some sort of, you know, secret villain in your campaign in the shadows pulling strings mm, all you mm. have is a symbol for them this evil villain maybe a pseudonym you ha- you eventually get and it's always there at the end of all these things in the dungeons there's always this symbol and this name that keeps showing up and you're like what is this person doing and it's it's gelkin right yeah 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 and him being here as a front mm-hmm. and everyone just thinks of him as the kindly wizard of Keldell, the kindly wizard of Keldell. He keeps the peace with the druids, but it's actually just like big brain front. Yeah, well, that. And half the half the time it's a simulacrum. Right. And that's the thing is like he maybe he is actually nice to the people of Keldell because he knows that's like, you know, you don't shit where you sleep. But he causes all these problems in the Desaran Valley or like the edges of water. Well, exactly. That's the thing is he's actually like, yeah. it only works if you play him up as like actually a kind old man, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just this great front because he's just this nice guy keeping the peace between these loggers and the druids. I mean... And then it turns out he's an evil mastermind. <laughs> you could also go in a direction having just watched Kenobi. He could be a Ben Kenobi of like, he's put here to watch over an ancient cache of magic or something like you know he's he's here watching over something right yeah you could do that yeah too. that would be pretty good you could also have it as if that was the case you went with then he could be one of those antagonists where there's kind of this moral conundrum right because you could play it so that eventually you need that cache of power mm-hmm. but he's not going to give it to you no and he's not going to give it to you no matter what you can tell him the world's going to end it doesn't matter he's just staunchly against it and then it's like well what do you do yeah yeah. Do you do you kill this nice guy? If you have your own wister, wizard, you could try like sequester him. Do you knock him out and tie him up and then take everything and then release him after you've taken it all? Like it's kind of adds this like complication. Yeah. Yeah. Challenge. Yeah. I like that. Westwood, as a general term, is used throughout the north to describe the western edge of a forest. 
However, Westwood near Caldell is said to be used to extend. Uh, sorry, is said to used to extend easterly to the high forest north of the city of Yartar to the Delimber route in the south and along the Sword Mountain range in the west. This is true. Westwood once stood as proud and as large as the high forest of today. Some sages believe this forest's been shrinking since the destruction of Netheril. Local legends say the ruins of an elven castle stands in a dell at the heart of the Westwood. Much magic exists in the ruins, and they're supposedly haunted by owl, bears, and wild trees. The latter are treants turned to evil who prey on intruders. The way thence is best sought at night, for the route from Caldell is marked by ancient spells that cause floating moon-glowed sibyls to shine in the darkness. The goddess Maliki is venerated at a hidden shrine somewhere nearby in the Westwood. Only rangers are guided to her temple. It is said those who kneel and place fermented seeds or newly sprouted oak trees at the altar are rewarded with a healing and those who harm the world are cursed. One interesting but little known attraction in Caldell is Tachandre Ianwood, a quiet grey-eyed woman. For a fee of two gold pieces per examination, Chandre will examine items brought to her. She can often tell you things about their histories. This seems to be a gift from the gods, as Chandre can't tell you how she does it. She she just has the innate spellcasting ability to cast identify and then legend lore. <laughs> yes, it yeah. sounds like legend lore. Yeah. It's it's fine if uh in character she doesn't know, but mm-hmm. anyone who wanted to run this, you just give her those two spells yeah. done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She doesn't know that she's casting them, you know, subtle spell matter magic whatever yeah it's cool i like this idea that it used to be this huge forest and it's shrinking but it's shrinking so slowly that no one really mm-hmm. notices right i think it could be really cool if you had the connection to netheril here immediately put my mind on two things and i think this could be really cool for a, a, a bit of a time travel story but the time travel only happens right at the end mm. either Ferrim or a wizard of netheril yeah i could see Ferrim. yeah either either one is it depends do you want monstrous conical sunflower magic eaters or do you want a lich really it's the flavor you want because the story works easy for both they're under the ground and they're slowly absorbing the life from above ground into their underground palace gelkin is secretly one of them keeping the peace up here and he's he's Mm, has a second job of distracting the druids so the druids don't realize what's happening either he's a pharaoh in disguise or he's just a thrall of the Netherese lich. I think Faerun could also make thralls, can they? I have no idea. I can't remember, yeah. But then, so, what's been happening is, because of whatever, either some fell magic by a lich, or just the Faerun casting their mm-hmm. magic-eating abilities, the druids are actually eating their own forest. Right, right. Every time they do druidic magic, and every time... You know, people leave these rewards for the goddesses and the healing magic happens. It actually is, all of it is eating away at the forest. And every time that happens, the energy that it eats from the forest gets siphoned down to the lich or the pharaoh and they get more empowered. Mm. Mm. But it's on such a slow, this is why you would need an immortal creature. Right. Because it's on such a large timeline that no one even realizes what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. I like that. I think that could be pretty fun because then you have this idea of like, I feel like it'd just be interesting role play and an interesting kind of hurdle to try and convince the druids that they're actually hurting yeah. the forest just by being druids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
like they've been so yeah just kind of had the wool pulled over their eyes for so long this has been so kind of like insidious slow boil that they just haven't noticed and yeah there's this yeah i think that's really cool a hidden evil underneath i mean especially if the party figures out that that's what's causing the forest to recede before they figure out anything to do with the antagonist right so like that you can't go to the druids and say hey you're destroying the forest because of a trick from pharaoh all you can approach the druids with is hey you're destroying the forest we don't know why yeah, yeah, yeah. you just are yeah and then time travel thing is at the end of it all somehow supplant a way for the party to go back in time and stop them before they even made their lair under the forest right yeah yeah maybe there's an item that seems incongruous or it's there's an item that's been time traveled so when you give it to this to chandre she's like has a weird history about it because it has histories in two completely different like time groups and then that kind of leads you to someone who's done it before yeah that'd be pretty cool yeah caldell's soul tavern is a dark low ceilinged place with a flagstone floor rough hewned furniture and a quiet atmosphere after a day of work, the townsfolk are usually too tired for more than a few tankards and a little chat before they stumble home to bed. However, fresh gossip of the world outside will be welcomed eagerly. Particularly, the folks of Caldell always would like to hear about the lawlessness and debauchery of Waterdeep. The only drinks served here are stout, ale, and free sugared water. Wow, perfect for all your hummingbird-flavored aerococcus. <laughs> or, or your cockroach people. True. Or like a fairy. I could see that being a fun little... Uh, sugar water. If you played a fairy, I could see that being a fun character trait of you mm. add sugar to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're at, the, you're at the tavern eating stew and your fairy pulls out their sugar shaker and everyone's like, oh, are you salting the stew? Did I not put enough salt? And the fairy's like, no! You put a great amount of salt. This is sugar. <laughs> adds adds four tablespoons of sugar, and the barkeep is like, ah, right. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're ruining it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm making it better. That's great. I like that. Don't you know? Sugar's great. <laughs> In the year of the Rings Royal, 952 DR, the Second Troll War finally ended under the leadership of Eroth, war captain of Silvery Moon. One of the great heroes of that war was Samular Caradun, a Tyrian knight whose bravery and faith were unsurpassed. Samular was the third of three brothers. The oldest, Renwick, studied wizardry, while Amphel, the just, and his younger brother Samular became paladins of Tyr. Nearly two decades before the war, Renwick Caradun acquired a trio of artifacts of mysterious purpose known now as the Rings of Samular, and later gave them to Samlar to hold. When the Second Troll War began, the magic of the Three Rings enabled the brothers, each of whom temporarily held one of the rings, to employ a magic siege engine known as Kazafbane to great effect against the trolls, lifting the siege of Waterdeep. For his heroism and leadership, Amphail was elevated to the position of Warlord of Waterdeep after the battle, only to die in a troll raid less than a year later. Without the third brother, the effectiveness of the Kazafbane against the trolls was greatly diminished. Nevertheless, Samular played a key role in Erlos's eventual victory through his martial prowess and valor. In doing so, Samular acquired a legion of devout followers. Renwick fell in the final battle, but the eldest brother had prepared to transform into an archlich, a process he began as he lay dying. Only Samular knew that Renwick had survived his quote-unquote death in battle, after the war, Samilar formed an order of Tyrian paladins based in the north. Under Samilar's leadership, the order seized Thornhold, a keep of petty warlord named Barundar Marjaster, 
and made Thorn hold its chapter house. Located just south of the Mere of Dead Men, Thorn Hold became the personal property of Samilar and his direct heirs. Renric would treat it into his tower in the Summer Hills. His undead state would have been considered an abomination by many of Samilar's followers, and Samilar's acceptance of such would have destroyed the fledging order. Samilar ordered that a training monastery, Summit Hill, be built around Renwick's tower, and that the tower remained undisturbed for all time, in honor of his brother's memory. Renric Caridor now dwells in the Sacred Stone Monastery as a lich. The Guardian Order has hidden for centuries in his old tower in Summit Hill, awaiting a descendant of Samilar to claim the third of the Rings of Samilar. Although Bronwyn Caridun briefly united the Rings and Kezithbane, Renwick's long-laid plans are blocked once again by her decision to divide the Rings to the Knights of Samilar, the Church of Cyric, and the Harpers, and to hide Kezithbane away again in a location unknown to Renwick. Lady Ushian Storm Banner oversees Summit Hall. Veterans, many of them scarred a grim, train novices and instruct them in the moral rule of the knights. An extensive series of, in this situation, a knight shall do this guidelines. Life here is very regimented. The occupants of Summit Hill grow their own food and keep perpetual watch over nearby lands. They are always ready for battle and fully armed and armored if encountered outside their walls. Yeah. Cool. I think. Uh, cool. Paladin order. Good place if you want to be a monk or a paladin mm-hmm. in this kind of area. We've talked about Kezif before. Kezif, the Chaos Hound. Yeah. Which is a powerful primordial and one of the seven mm-hmm. lost gods. Right, yeah, yeah. He's feared by the gods, is how strong he is. Cyric releases him at some point, which I'm glad came up here with the Church of Cyric getting one of these rings. Kind of stands out there. Why was it given to the Church of Cyric? Why did Renwick become a lich? Yeah, right. The thing, the thing under the forest that's been eating it away is some ritual to summon Kezif the Chaos right, Hound. Yeah. Renwick, Renwick, one of these rings, some, one of these things, Kezif Bane, one of these rings, right. it has all been secretly deteriorating their mm. minds and it corrupted mm. Renwick. That's why Renwick became a lich. And Renwick has just been playing the long game right. and is actually evil. And she? Uh, Renwick's a he. Uh, it was... Uh... Right. The other Caradun, uh, Bronwyn Caradun was she. Right. Yeah. Well, Renwick is going to stab the other ones in the back. Right, yeah. I think that'd be cool. That'd be a cool, really cool. Yeah. epic, epic level bad guy, Kezif the Nighthound here, if you want an epic level bad guy. And it, it hits all the great marks of, you know, Paladin Order that eventually will succumb to the corruption, which is really a sweet trope. It, you have familial betrayal, which is another freaking sweet trope. Mm-hmm. A secret lich, a secret order of druids that are accidentally causing their own doom and the doom of the world. I think that all makes tons of plot hooks that you can kind of, you know, sprinkle out as the party keeps going. Also, and ooh. it has just a lot of possibility for a lot of drama and mystery and intrigue with these siblings and this order, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, because you talked about it a little bit, maybe do some time travel in this campaign you're coming up with, going back to the second troll war and coming up with what that looks like and when trolls are laying siege outside Waterdeep would be a really cool time to go back in time to when you're higher level. True. Like where the true, true, foot true. soldiers are trolls, you know? True. Like, yeah, I think that'd be really cool. I guess it'd be a pretty cool Kezif the Night Hound. Uh, yeah, I think this could be a really fun 
really fun little campaign involving these siblings. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like the kind of lore around them. The fact that like one was named Amphel, and of course the city was obviously named from him. It has this kind of like seeped into the into the locations uh, feeling to the lore that yeah, yeah, I really like that. Kezif also bit off Tyr's hand. Oh yeah, okay, wow. That's how Tyr is. That's how Tyr is missing his hand. So like, oh interesting. Uh, so yeah, reason... they have a history. Yeah, so like the reason that this Paladin Order is the focus of the corruption is just this history that Kezif has with Tyr. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a smack. If if you play it so that they, they slowly get corrupted over the course of the campaign that you're in, mm. it's cool because it's kind of just like this, you know, smack spitting in the face of Tyr. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really cool. The Halls of the Hunting Axe are monster-hunted ruins where once a grand and important city in the Shield Dwarf Kingdom of Balsamir. The old city was a small forest of stone round houses interlaced with gardens and joined by walls into one vast and sprawling building. It was surrounded by a moat fed by underground springs. Splendid stone statues of heroic dwarves stood on high pedestals wherever one turned. All traces of the gigantic building is gone now except for the foundation of its thickest highest walls, which jut like lines of stone teeth from the thickets of the trees and the creeping vine. For centuries, shards of magnificent windows of stained glass that once adorned the halls have been found their way into beautiful and distinctive glass bottles blown locally. Stories in nearby Bellard warn of predatory creatures lurking in the extensive ruins. Despite forays by adventuring bands and dwarves determined to reclaim and explore the ruins, the halls rarely stay empty for long. As a result, travelers usually give the halls of the hunting axe a wide berth. Many dwarves and most local harpers believe that King Thornhild Flametongue, the founder of Besselmer, lies entombed with his legendary great axe somewhere beneath the halls. Some dwarven legends go further, saying the royal tomb was long deliberately sealed off by dwarves and that a fearsome curse befalls anyone who disturbs Thornhild's rest. Thornhild Flametongue. I mean, that's a pretty cool dungeon to have here. Yep. I don't know, maybe to tie it in with Kezif, you could have Torhill. Maybe this dwarven thing was uh, their first attempt, Kezif, or the cult of Kezif that's under the ground. Their first attempt was to corrupt right. the dwarves, and they succeeded only in wiping them off the face of the planet. They didn't succeed in using the dwarves to summon Kezif by mistake. And so round round two was the Tear Paladins and the Ooh, yeah. Druids. But... Torhild, Flame Tongue, they succeeded fucking him up, and he got super corrupted, and he's like an avatar of Kezif, but he's trapped, and the weapon he has could be used. I think two. Oh, okay, so I go go ahead. I'm, it's it's just and the weapon, the weapon he wields could be used as you know, kind of a, you know, a helpful tool to defeat Kezif in the cult. But first, you have to either unputrify Torhild or kill him. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be cool. Like they said, deliberately, like if it was deliberately uh, sealed off by dwarves, if, like you said, they trapped, he became like super corrupted, but maybe he had just slight, like the dwarven resilience as it is, had just enough kind of like clear through the fog to tell his like advisors, like, you have to lock me up now before I come too powerful, before I come too like strong and then all these little stone jutting out the foundations that stayed all have like runes on them uh, and the runes are like sealing it down 
underneath. But as you said, like they have to get to his tomb and through getting to his tomb and talking to him still alive as an avatar and defeating him, they can have that, you know, good moment of talking to either the dying body or the spirit afterwards who kind of gives them insight into uh, Kezef's whole corruption. He, uh... Yeah, like in his in his uh, final bout of lucidity, he was able to tell them, "You have to seal me away. You're all doomed. You're all gonna die. Mm-hmm. This place is this place. You know, whatever it is, Kezef's cult, some army of undead hounds. They're around the corner, and I have this one moment of lucidity to warn you about it. And if you don't lock me up, it'll be so much worse. Yeah. And I think what could be if you have a dwarf in your party, mm-hmm. don't tell them any of this. Right. Right? It's a mystery. The dwarf has no idea what happened, but the dwarf is maybe like the grandson of Torhild Flametongue. Mm. Possibly you'd have to work with your DM and DM would have to work with the player character. But, uh, you know, coming to reclaim the ancestral home. Yeah. Don't know why it got destroyed, but it's such a classic dwarf tale, you know, Bruinor. Yeah. I want to reclaim my ancestral home. And in doing that, they also find this connection to this whole Kezif plot line. Yeah, maybe through for like a, a small player victory is like having that I, that knowledge that like, you know, yes, he was corrupted, but he like saved his people kind of gives them like the family's uh, a good name again. Like a, a, a proud name again. Yeah, it could be fun. Bellaird is a small tree-cloaked village that stands east of the Stonebridge, where the trail from Westbridge meets a, the trail coming north from Ironford. Bellaird is a market of local cattle drovers, completed with a covered well free for anyone to use, as well as a pond where harnessed horses or oxen can be driven through the water to bathe them drive off flies, and let them drink. It also boasts a tanner, a smith, and some horse dealers and trainers with extensive stables. Rather than setting up ranches, farmers build their houses in Bellaird and wander the nearby moors and rolling grasslands with their herds. From time to time, folks disappear in or near Bellaird. Recently, four spice merchants vanished. At the east end of Bellaird is a stable known as Halamar's Horses. A stout, white-bearded, retired warrior housing tired or lame mounts and draft animals and selling fresh, rested replacements. He's full of tales about adventurers, orc ambushes, and treasures. His favorite treasure tale is of riches buried nearby an age ago by Ifrit ladies fleeing the fall of Netheril. The stable boy, who uses the name Hagalar, is actually a doppelganger. It preys on horses, dogs, and the weakest travelers camped near Bolaird. Its kill pit is the north end of the village's garbage dump. There it dumps corpses it hasn't had time to eat. It also hurls bones and treasures there, covering them with a layer of garbage. I think one of the funniest things about Toril, the Forgotten Realms, Sword Coast, and I think most D&D campaigns, official ones, except maybe Nentir Vale from Fori. Yeah. I think this one's a bit different, but I think one of the funniest things is that, like, what the... What the heck are everybody doing? Mm-hmm. They're just like, yeah, we live in this sleepy little town and, you know, we herd our sheep in the fields. People are constantly dying and going missing, but it's been normalized. So, uh, no, we're not doing anything about it. Move to Waterdeep. It just kind of happens. Move to Waterdeep where there's walls and defenses <laughs> against the constant harrying of <laughs> horrors everywhere. No, we're not going to do that. Half of us just going to die sometimes. It's okay. Like, it's just so 
funny to me how does this world function no. and like oh it's just a <laughs> thing in the game because you need horrors and you need places for people to go it's just so funny because yeah. you get to a place and it's like occasionally people die horrific deaths nothing is done about it yeah and it's like well okay yeah how what yeah could someone do something Build a little walls, bit about it no somewhere better like everyone in Farron and everyone in Toril and wherever should just be living in these huge mega cities that have <laughs> yeah. major defenses against you know the constant war against the world that wants you dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> true very true <laughs> but otherwise yeah that's pretty cool i like doppelgangers i uh feel like in a lot of lore with doppelgangers it should be changed to changeling mm, mm. because i feel a lot of the time people are like like in Waterdeep, there's like some good doppelgangers and it's like well make them changelings instead because doppelgangers are like weird alien monsters that feed on raw flesh yeah 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 exactly like, i understand that like you know alignment is a nebulous concept but i feel like i don't know quite often we we subvert the trope of nice doppelgangers of evil dop like that is a trope that has been subverted too much in my opinion mm -hmm. that it's like oh but the doppelgangers mm -hmm. are actually right. good and it's like okay but all the doppelgangers are always actually good yeah exactly so yeah. i'm glad this place has an actual feeding evil doppelganger yeah it's just like eating people it's hungry it's eating things it's like a vampire yeah. doppelganger it's great i think it also gives like the delineation between doppelganger and changeling is that changelings aren't i always imagine doppelgangers as they're intelligent but they also have this kind of bestial um, nature inside them that they just aren't able to fight mm. and then changelings are their right. more human-centric cousin who retains the abilities and kind of the monstrous appearance of a doppelganger yeah. but kind of loses that bestial instinct right yeah 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 i can see that i mean they have claws instead of hands yeah. their fingers are like their fingers are like five inch daggers <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're terrifying yeah like i i think the delineation that i get from it is like changelings are more a sentient species that uses ability to change their form while doppelgangers are like creatures that have developed a hunting mechanism that is turning into something else yeah like how an octopus can camouflage itself it could just turn into a human and now it can hunt better yeah that's kind of exactly yeah. what i think and i think the easiest way yeah, to yeah. imagine that is just through their creature types a changeling is a fae yeah. well now they're fae mm -hmm. they were humanoid before but their lore has always linked them to fae changeling is a fae doppelganger is a monstrosity yeah yeah done yeah great the inn in Bellaird has 16 rooms it's a rough place built of logs and as cold as a drafty tomb in winter the hostel is run by arkar kalanthar who is the namesake of but no relation to the famous ranger arkar kalanthar arkar becomes intensely irritated whenever anyone asks if he's related to the real one the watchful knight has a central hall with a massive chimney at either end and two floors of rooms opening onto internal balconies that overlook the hall. A suit of empty full plate armor stands in the center of the hall facing the front door. It can animate and help defend the inn or Arkar at the inn's at the innkeeper's silent mental command. The creature mysteriously vanished years ago 
and the innkeeper went missing shortly thereafter. Okay, so if you look up Ardakar Kalathar, mm-hmm. I got nothing. <laughs> so famous, this ranger. It says, did you mean Ardakar Kalishtar? <laughs> no, I didn't mean that, because if I click that, it just gives me things Kalishtar. for Kalishtar. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this whole name thing is going to fall flat unless you... Yeah, it's going to fall so flat. <laughs> unless you introduce Ardakar Kalathar way earlier in your campaign. Yeah. Or I think it could be pretty funny if you have the... Uh, innkeeper be like i the name's arakar kalathar no relation to the famous ranger don't even mention it <laughs> and everyone is like oh we don't even know this famous ranger and then the innkeeper is like hey, don't just say that for my benefit look i know i'm named after this famous ranger and like it's just arakar kalathar is not a famous ranger and this guy is not named after a famous ranger he just really plays with that was named after yeah, he was just named after a random yeah. ranger who, like, saved his mom's <laughs> life, you know? But no one knows who the ranger is, but this guy will not stop harping on it. And you you kind of get the impression where it's like, I don't think you're annoyed by us bringing this up. You want to yeah, bring you, it up. You, I think you you're very proud of this. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I think that'd be pretty funny. The Waysop village of uh, 450 folks stands where the long road meets the trail. West from the ancient dwarven holy site, the Stone Bridge. The village's naming origin is obvious. Westbridge is a farming center, complete with a market, a stockade, and grain warehouses. The latter are protected from brigands and monsters by stout palisades and a hard guard of 20 archers. There's also an inn. All these locations are owned by one person, a halfling called Gulliver Longstocking. Gulliver is an enterprising investor, and he's also great at manipulating the merchants. Long stocking yards are in the center of Westbridge, on the east side of the Long Road, just south of the trail to the Stone Bridge. Cross that trail and you'll, you'll find Gulliver's Inn. Cross the Long Road and you'll be at the restaurant. Basically, this intersection is where anything of interest might occur in Westbridge. The village is also has a small winery that makes forgettable reds a farrier, person who shoes horses poorly and several capable carpenters and fence builders it's a good place to stop over but there's not much to see if you stay then we've got west bridge this place has a lot of stuff but it's all forgettable mediocre and garbage keep going it's essentially what this just said yeah also it's called <laughs> yeah, yeah it's west of a bridge Thus, Westbridge. Anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> it's like, okay. The wine is forgetful. The horseshoe maker sucks. The carpenters are, <laughs> I guess, capable. You know, they can build a fence. Do you want them to? I don't know. If you know a different fence builder, then maybe ask them. Yeah, I think it could be fun, though, because this grain ha- warehouse is so... Like, just have this... Yeah, it doesn't even matter. This is just some random village. Who cares? But if you're running in this area... You know, someone has something hidden in the grain warehouse and you have to go mm-hmm. in and steal it. If you're running a good if if you're running a good aligned party, right, right. the reason they can't tell the guards and the warehouse owner mm-hmm. is whoever has hired them to do do it needs it to be a secret. If you're running a morally gray aligned party, or you make the grain warehouse owners evil, it's just a you know, a siege on the keep. Right. Which I think would be more interesting if you were heroes. And the grain warehouse workers were good people. Yeah. Because yeah. it adds this kind of like Metal Gear Solid no kills pacifist run through, you know, yeah, yeah. of can you get in without, you know, you can still do non-lethal damage to everyone, but you need to keep your faces hidden. You try and use stealth as much as possible, do a bunch of stealth takedown, non-lethal takedowns, tie people up, you know, I think that could be fun. 
heist. Yeah. Also, I'm invoking our last episode with our whole Western idea. A, a, a single halfling owning the whole town. Yeah. A single per- merchant owning the whole town is very Western trope. So a good trope if you wanted to have like a businessman uh, in your Western. Because like, yeah. Yeah, true, true, true. Maybe some corruption. So now for the greatest uh, evil of all of Westbridge. Oh. The Wemmick Comes to Westbridge is the unlikely name <laughs> of this eatery. And it's displayed in metallic red letters on the signboard that depicts a rearing weapon brandishing Wemmick. The establishment is run by a short, cheery, bustling woman named Halisa Ithkenter, formerly of Baldur's Gate. The Wemmick is a sunny, plant-bedecked place with a small menu, but the dishes served are perfect. In winter, things shrink to starvation menu of pickled fish, salt pork, parsnips, Hard bread, sausage, pickles, and various sauces. The feast begins with a thick, succulent green turtle soup served with pyramids of crumbly biscuits drenched in melted butter. The biscuits come with long, slender silver forks for dipping them into any or all of the three silver dishes. Sour cream, bumbleberry jam, and green quimble fruit preserves. When that was done, the main dish was served. Spiced catfish from the lower Desarin. These are huge gray fish with very fine pink flesh. Dessert that includes a choice of various pies and tarts. The Happy Halfling Inn is a cozy informal place with lots of rugs and squishy armchairs and cushions and warming fires in mini chimneys. It's highly recommended as a place to get some sleep or just to relax. Westbridge is also the home of the Harvest Inn, which stands on the west side of Long Road, facing the Wagon Road from the Stone Bridge. The inn is run by the affable Hevren Dard Dragon, a curly-haired collector and reseller of paintings and statuettes of questionable taste. Why, why, why do Wemmick show up everywhere? I know. <laughs> I, I hate know. Them also, so much. there's, there's no reason. I it's know. called the Wemmick comes to Westbridge, and it's like, why? yeah, but why? Why? There's no well, what's the also, reason? What I find so hilarious is like. Before this podcast, and like we, I'd been playing in Farron a lot. We'd been playing D and D a lot, DMing a lot, playing a lot as a PC. I know. I had never I heard of a Wemmick before. They're everywhere, and now they're just everywhere. What is this? Who? Okay, well, some guy sat down who worked at you know probably TSR at the time, and was just like, "I'm going to force my weird obsession with Wemmicks into every single corner of this world." Well, they show up in Volo's Guide and like Waterdeep City Splendors. If I ever meet a Greenwood. I'm gonna be like, why, why, why Wemix? Why everywhere? Like, I just, why? it's so, it's so, it's so funny. I imagine them in like their, you know, writer's room and they've got the whatever and they're like, all right, John, what you got for us? Oh, well, the happy halfling inn, cozy, informal place, blah, 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 blah. All right, and uh, Craig, uh, what do you have for us today? Oh, well, the harvest inn, you know, stands next to Stonebridge, whatever, classic inn, and then it's like, all right. Uh, Larry, what do you have? Oh, what do I have? Larry stands up wearing his Wemmick shirt, <laughs> his Wemmick backpack, and his Wemmick pin, and he's like, let me tell you what I have. The Wemmick comes to Westbridge, and everyone's like, oh. <laughs> Give us one non-Wemmick thing, Larry. And Larry's like, what, is it that obvious that I love Wemmick? Or they're like, okay, we need some, like, not human race to have in this town or to be mentioned. And they keep throwing out a dartboard, and they're like, why? Wemmick. It just keeps hitting Wemmick. Why? Is the Wemmick bigger? <laughs> No, we, Larry, we never hit tiefling like, we never hit janassi why do we keep hitting wemmick larry put like a magnet underneath <laughs> yeah. wemmick that pulls all the darts towards it 
like I, I know tieflings and jassy were a bit newer than 2e but it's like it's crazy like anytime you hear about yes okay we hear halflings a fair amount we hear elves a fair amount gnomes I think gnomes are equal, if not a bit less than what makes at this point. I just, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Centaurs, satyrs. I know satyrs are brought up a fair amount in yeah. naming of places. Like, there's quite a few satyr inns, I think. But still, satyrs, minotaurs, centaurs. There's so many other behirs. I don't know. There's so many other creatures that you could have instead of Wemmick. It's but wild. Everything is Wemmick. Everything is Wemmick. It's wild. What the heck is a Wemmick? What is happening? <laughs> North of the Sword Mountains, along the remnants of the trade route that once linked the Dwarven port city of Bahindul to Delzun, lies the ruins of a Netherese outpost built at the direction of the Terrasir. The mysterious arcanist convinced the High Mages Netheril to build a spy outpost at that spot so that they could observe the events in Ilafarn. Unbeknownst to the Netherese, the Terrasir had a hidden agenda. Beneath the site, a large supply of Chardolins, uh, which is a crystal, lay in the ancient vault that the Saruk had built in the waning days of Istasisifil. But the captive deepspawn that guarded the vault performed their task all too well. The constant stream of magical beasts they disgorged made the region too dangerous to settle. So the Terrasir sought an empire with enough might to overcome the dangers and recover the Chardolins. At great military cost, Netherese destroyed wave upon wave magical beasts and eventually succeeded in establishing the outpost, which they named Quasir. The Netherese scouts then tracked the remaining magical beasts back to their caverns, defeated the deeps on there within, and recovered an unimaginable supply of chartlands. This quote-unquote chance discovery in turn led to a great deal of research into gem magic, which may have been the Terrasir's intent all along. Thanks to the great battles necessary to secure the site, however, the elves of Illifrain were well aware of the outpost by its time it was finally established. Since its original purpose has been compromised and it lay in an unclaimed wilderness in the annexus of several diverse communities, Quasir became a trade meet for Netherese expatriates, Illuskin seafarers, ice hunter tribesmen, Illifreni elves, and the isolated shield dwarf clans of fallen Hongadanar. The outpost was noble for its elaborate constructed well, which still delivers bountiful, clean, fresh water for the large number of magical beasts, primarily owlbears, that continue to plague the surrounding region. Less than three centuries after its construction, Quasir was abandoned when Illusk fell to a great orc horde. Since then, Old Owl Well, as the outpost well is called, has served as an excellent water source for passing caravans. Various monsters Humanoid tribes and power groups have claimed Quasir as a lair, but the traders in the region always hire mercenary companies to drive out the usurpers. The most recent occupant was an orc tribe that heeded the visions of its shaman and marched on Tribor, only to be consumed by Cloggy Limitar, the ancient green dragon of the Crypt Garden Forest. Since the destruction of the orcs, Old Owl Well has once again been opened to passing merchants and its adventurers. The underground caverns from which it draws its water may contain still more faults of the Saruk, as yet undiscovered, though those two might continue deep spawn guardians. Oh, it's Old Owl Well. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. This is in uh, Dragons of Ice Spire Peak. Um, oh. 
fun little starter campaign that I've heard is quite good. Um, it mm. has quite a few mini quests, a la kind of like the Lost Minds of Fendelver, but there are a few instead of just mm. the one. That's cool. Is this the origin of owl bears? It might be. This deep spot? Because, okay, at first I was a little bit confused, but now I've realized that what it meant by disgorged, like... This deep spawn was like, okay, I need to protect this place. So it just made a bunch of magical beasts. Yeah, exactly. It just made them. So like, is this where owl bears come from? It might That's be. kind of funky. Yeah. I like that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know. This is cool. It's a place that you could, uh, I don't know what Dragons of Ice Spire Peak has to say about Old Owl Well, mm -hmm. but if you're running that campaign, this background info might be nice to spice up the encounter that happens there. Yeah. Also, this could be a fun netheries dungeon yeah very good netheries dungeon i like that it has connections to the saruk I, I find that very fun and yeah it's it's a cool way of adding netheries and their lore without having like yeah oh is there a mythol or like the crazy like you know the magic and all that right i like that these people were like oh, ha, ha, we're big brain wizards smartest people of all time and then the terrasier is just like manipulate 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 <laughs> yeah um <laughs> we can't be manipulated oh my god terrasier will do anything you say um exactly <laughs> uh but i think it could be a cool little nethery's dungeon because i like the com the combination of aberration and beasts Mm, like yeah. i think that that makes a cool because the deep spawn right would be an aberration i would imagine mm -hmm. i think that could be a cool combination of this uh you know aberration that's just sitting there combining monsters and throwing them at you as you're going through the dungeon mm -hmm. yeah i like that a lot for centuries crypt garden forest has been the home and hunting ground of the ancient female green dragon Caligula matar better known to many as old Nawbones, which i'm going to be referring to her only as here without she earned her nickname by her habits of gnawing on old kills and is often seen with a mangled corpse hanging from her mouth other dragons rarely remain in cryptarn forest for long because old gnawbones drives them out hunters from westbridge used to cautiously seek game along the easternmost verges of the crypt garden but dare not do so now after several hunting parties disappeared Small game remain plentiful, but larger beasts are seldom seen. Presumably, such beasts have fallen prey to old gnawbones. Old gnawbones lairs in a cavern of Crypt Garden Forest at the end of a deep ravine that runs from the base of one of the mountains that bounds the old, thickly grown woods to the north. Several tombs and abandoned dwarf holds pierce the mountain walls nearby, including the infamous monster-haunted complex known as South Crypt. Old Gnawbones employs both human agents and woodland creatures as guards around her lair to lead intruders astray into waiting traps or into one of the waning perils of another cave. The green dragon doesn't seem to have a name for her abode, but to humans it is Deeping Cave. The cave gapes at the end of a gloomy vine-crossed gully overhung by gigantic old oaks and duskwoods. Within Old Gnawbones' lair is a weird place of creeping phosphorescent lichen, giant toadstools, and hanging mosses draped over statues of imperious human women, warriors mostly, looted from dozens of tombs. At the back of the cave, Old Nawbones slithers around in the gloom from her bed of coins to an alcove where her crystal balls glow and flicker. She often spends hours sprawled before them, watching what befalls far away, while a servant oils her soft scales with tree sap and ointments made from the dragon's own formula from crushed and boiled forest leaves, fungi, and roots. Old Gnawbones is vain and believes that she will stay youthful and supple for scales are tended daily, polished with these healthy substances 
to a deep, almost blue emerald hue. Those who anoint her are allowed to scoop up as many coins as they can grasp in one hand from her hoard bed as payment when they leave. Thus, attending the dragon is a popular duty amongst her servants. Though one must be careful to do nothing to make old Nawbones suspect treachery, she's been known to roll over with sudden, deliberate speed and crush a servant beneath her bulk. Her rolling over and crushing them is the funniest thing ever. <laughs> it's uh, so funny. <laughs> she's in Storm King's Thunder. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yes, as a standard ancient green dragon, but given some interesting spell casting like Blight, Legend Lore, Locate creature, pass without a trace, true seeing, animal messenger, given some funky spell casting. That makes sense for her, like, crystal ballishness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the description of her uh, slithering around. I don't imagine D&D dragons as slithering. They're they're quadrupedal flying no. creatures that walk, <laughs> but I guess they slither. <laughs> maybe it's because she maybe has, like, some water in the cave that she slithers through... Because they have a swim speed. Also, I'm thinking like an alligator. Like, think of how alligators move. They're walking, but they're like so low to the ground. It kind of looks like slithering. I guess that's true. She has a yeah magic card, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. It's insanely good, too. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Old Gnawbones, I like her. She's almost like Jabba the hut e where she's like has servants like human servants yeah. and like is kind of vain but is gigantic and terrifying like she's she's got an interesting vibe as a as a dragon yeah i think she'd be a really interesting npc or antagonist to have around yeah from deeping cave old Nawbones holds sway over dominion that stretches from the southern bank of the river murar down the sword coast to the north bank of the Dasarin. She rarely flies anywhere east of the long road and seldom leaves her lair in any case, preferring to watch through her scrying crystals and have agents work for her. This habitual idleness does not keep her from jealously defending her domain when the young dragon scouts it, and seeing no draconic occupant decides to sell in. Lance Rock, a landmark west of the long road south of Red Larch, Looks as if a gigantic boulder were hold down from the sky to strike deep into the ground. And that's just what happened. A brass young adult red dragon, Smurgadas, liked the look of the lands around the Sarin. After flying around unchallenged for most of a day, he filled his belly with roaming deer and curled up for a nap. Whereupon old Gnawbones, who had been watching him through one of her crystals, emerged from her lair, plucked a loose boulder as large as herself from atop a mountain, and flew over and dropped it on him. <laughs> she then landed to fill her belly with foolish red dragon. The favorite prey of old Gnawbones is adventurers, particularly human males, but she does enjoy the taste of dragon meat. When orc hordes sweep down from the mountains, Old Gnawbone emerges from her lair and gorges herself, devouring the goblinkin by the hundreds until, too bloated to fly anywhere, she labors back to her lair and crawls inside to sleep off her feast. Sages identified such occasions as times when she's most vulnerable. Of course, when orcs are streaming by the thousands down into the land of civilized men, dragon hunting is a luxury no one can afford. Old Nawbone prefers to hunt between Westwood and Crypt Garden Forest on deer, cattle, or human travelers that she can catch in the open. Her killing this red dragon, the young one, is so funny to me. Just it's like, so fuck out of here, drops a big rock on it. She's <laughs> hilarious. And I think even not even having her as an antagonist, just having her as this no. being that exists in the area that you're adventuring around, you know, yeah. she can come up and she, she's kind of a threat, right? But she's not the antagonist. She's not an ally. She's just kind of there. I think it'd be pretty fun. Yeah, it'd be um, super and fun. And maybe 
maybe the party gets on her bad side or her good side some way and that affects the campaign like you kind of just leave it up to chance i think would be pretty fun but also yeah i think she would be quite a fun patron for like a drake warden character Mm, and like the drake warden worked under her and she drake warden learned the abilities of a drake warden ranger in exchange she allows old gnaw bones to cast scrying on her right yeah and so it's kind of like the exchange here i think she would be a good drake warden kind of patron if you wanted one that was like had the capability to be very hands-off but could also come and be a main player of the campaign if needed you know right um because it's kind of like oh would you do an exchange for your training from a fucking ancient green dragon Oh, in exchange, I just make sure to give her information on what's going on all over the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I let her. I let her scry on me. I send letters back to her. You know, I'm just kind of a spy, mm-hmm. but I don't really have to do much besides be an adventurer. Yeah, because she's so good at scrying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, I enjoy her being kind of like this. Like we know about her. Or like maybe the people of the town know about her. Maybe even if you have higher up contacts in Waterdeep, they're like, yeah, we know of old Dawbones, but eh, she doesn't actually do that much. So like against us and she helps out sometimes. So eh, what's well, a few dead adventurers? Like I wouldn't call her harmless, but she's not the worst neighbor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> adventurers know old Dawbones for the grim toll of their ranks. She's exacted down the years. And in particular, for the time, she posed as a silver dragon to dupe a water Davian noble. In her disguise, she tricked Salarn into hiring her to rid the bro- Broken Gulf grazing lands of herself. She flew to the Broken Gulf ranch and used illusions to make it seem as though a titanic midair battle was fought between a silver dragon and a green. In the process, she smashed fences, allowing the terrified land stock, livestock to flee out into the open grasslands for her later dining pleasure. The battling dragons disappeared west over the mountain, and a battered, angry silver dragon subsequently perched atop the broken gulf abode in Waterdeep and demanded the payment for slaying Old Gnawbones. The silver dragon flew away, straining to hold aloft a broken gulf boat plucked up from the harbor and crammed full of coins. Old Gnawbones spent a leisurely ten-day then reappeared at Broken Gulf Towers as herself, just as angry, and demanding twice as much the payment for the Silver Slayer, and demanded twice the payment that the Silver Slayer had received to spare the lives of the entire Broken Gulf family. When Lord Broken Gulf played for time, trying hastily to hire a wizard to blast away his dragon troubles forever, Old Nawbone toppled the grandest tower of the villa down into its garden, crushing three of the Lord Broken Gulf sisters and crippling Serlin himself. She got her payment, though it almost emptied the coffers of the noble house, and then she flew happily back to her cave after wrecking the rest of the villa almost as an afterthought. She then set all the traps she had prepared and went off to loot the Neverwinter Woods to hide while all the angry forces of Waterdeep scoured Crypt Gardens for a dragon so bold as to dare attack a noble of the city in his very home. The crowning stroke in Old Nabon's plan was her timing of the whole affair to coincide with the foray to her forest of Edrakrintar, a rival green dragon from the high forest near Lawwater. He had been preparing spells and stratagems for a decisive attack on Old Nabon's for some time. Unbeknownst to him, Old Nabon's had been scrying on him regularly for some time too, as she did all dragons she could find except Malagos, whom she didn't quite dare watch and knew all about his plan. 
The Strike Force from Waterdeep charged into Crypt Garden looking for a rapacious green dragon, and they found one. The smoke had barely ceased to drift and curl from his blasted bones when Old Gnawbones glided back calmly across the mountains and returned to her cave, bringing her best crystal ball with her. Lack of sufficient magic is the only real weakness she seems to be working at rectifying. However, her paranoia makes her finding wizards mighty enough to develop a roster of powerful verbal-only spells for her and to enable her to shift freely between dragon form and human shape a very difficult task. She's recently come to the conclusion that the only way to find such a being may be to raise one herself. To adopt a magically gifted child as a mysterious, helpful benefactor, helping the human grow into a major power who regards Old Gnawbones as a friend whom they owe a tremendous debt. It'd be fun as fuck to play that character. Yeah, it would be so that's, fun. <laughs> that's, they just made the perfect character for this episode. Yeah, yeah. Also, this is why green dragons are so much fun. Do you see the so scheming she just did? She <laughs> yeah. invents a silver dragon to kill herself. And also... I love this. Plays two different people against this. Extorts them both for ridiculous wealth. And all of this was actually just a setup to get Waterdeep to kill a rival dragon for her. Yeah, exactly. It's so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. I love that. Great dragons are great. It was already this great scheming plan. Yeah. And then it's revealed that she did it just to fuck over this other dragon. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is the long game. Yeah, exactly. These green dragons are conniving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. This is what I'm talking about. You play your enemies against them. This is what green dragons yeah. do. They play their enemies against themselves and then get paid for it. Exactly. It's so good. Uh, I love her plan. Yeah. I love her. She's she's wonderful. I love her so much. I also love that it says verbal yeah. only spells. Dragons can do somatic components. She's just too lazy. No, but I think she's just bad at no, it. No, she's just too lazy. Yeah. She can't bring herself to lift a claw. <laughs> she has servants for all that stuff. Exactly. Uh, she's so great. <laughs> Yeah. And... Okay, wait, I got her stat block opened here. Let's look for a second. No, okay. I was going to see if they flavorly gave her only verbal spells, but no, not at no, all. They, that would have been great if they did. Yeah, that would have been pretty funny. I, I like that she's apparently scared of Belagos. I think that's kind of a fun nod to like the power level. Like she's conniving and smart. Like she likes to keep tabs, but like, yeah, she knows she knows where not to poke her nose into things. Yeah, red dragons are still at the top of the food chain. Exactly. Yeah, I love this. And like, yeah, I think it'd be really cool to play a character who, yeah, this is really nice old benefactor who's kind of strange and lives out near Crypt Gardens, uh, raised you and taught you, you know, gave you all the best magic books. And yeah, you had like a rotating roster of other wizards that came to teach you, but they all you know had to get back to their travels or something uh and you never saw them again don't know why and you're just none the wiser that this is old gnaw bones no the idea here is that you have to know that it's old gnaw bones because you have to teach her magic right 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 for her right. is the idea here she just doesn't trust right, right, any right. wizards okay, true, to teach true, yeah. her magic because she's right. afraid that the wizard will kill her so she gets you adopts you as right, a baby right, right. so that you she can trust you implicitly but i think that that could be a fun pair of characters if you were looking for to connect yeah. your backstory with another character is mm -hmm. a drake warden ranger and either a draconic bloodline sorcerer or a wizard 
and you are both essentially the children, the humanoid children of old Nawbones. Right. You consider yeah. her your mom. You know, she adopted two children, and one of them, it yeah. turned out, wasn't inclined to the arcane, but old Nawbones was like, eh, whatever, you could still be useful, and taught you how to be a Drake Warden instead. Mm -hmm. And then your other sibling was inclined towards the arcane, and uh, this is your two characters' shared backstory. I think that could be quite fun. Yeah, I think that's very fun. Yeah, I really like this. Old Nawbones is great. <laughs> uh, that's it for our journey today. Remember that literally anyone could be a dragon. I could be a dragon. Or a Wemmick. Or, uh, I hope they're not. Any tavern could be a Any Wemmick. Any tavern could be a Wemmick. Uh, I hate it. Next episode, we'll cover The Mirror of Dead Men. Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. And blend us for the theme music Around the Fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great long rest. Bye.